Hello and welcome back to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and happiness. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Lisa Lux, poet, artist and founder of Prowl magazine. So it's been a week and a half since I put out the last episode. Not much has happened in the UK since then, has it? <sighs> wow, uh, turns out racism's back in fashion. Uh, who knew? Uh, wow, England, what have you done? It feels like the world's gone a bit crazy. Cards on the table. I vote to remain. I'm, I'm really tempted to go on a huge political rant at this point, but to be honest, everyone knows what everyone thinks about this stuff, don't they? And you can read my Twitter timeline if you really care. I'm really grateful that a while ago I decided to lock myself out of Facebook and to just not have that particular echo chamber as a place for me to be screaming into at like half past midnight when I should be asleep. Um, I'm just really grateful that I took that decision. So uh, yeah, good to, good to certainly not have uh, that uh, ability to scream at people who are wrong on the internet. I've done a bit of that on Twitter. Uh, I, I always regret it afterwards. It's just such a lesson, isn't it? Let people be wrong on the internet. It's just a thing. The only thing I'll say really is that I, I don't think the EU is perfect. I don't think our country's perfect either, but make no mistakes, the politics of Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson is just not the answer to that. And anything that stokes up hatred and division and blame for the other, for certain groups of people, is just wrong and we need to challenge it and, you know, challenge it totally. So I won't say loads on the politics, but we really need, I mean, it's very sad that we're back in an age where we have to say racism is bad and actually keep repeating that and uh, reinstating that. But um, I think that is where we are. And so it's, I think it's just really important to make that plea for compassion. I think the world's going slowly crazy. I think a lot of people are very unsettled and confused. And I totally understand why a lot of people voted to leave. I think there's a lot, you know, I mean, in, in the immediate aftermath, like I think a lot of people who voted to remain said very angry, patronising things about the people who voted to leave. Uh, there are definitely massive racists who voted to leave, like that's without question. But there are also a lot of people who uh, don't feel racist, but they feel a, a, a genuine level of alienation and they feel like the establishment and big institutions don't have their best interests at heart. And, you know, I think they're right. And I, I also think the thing that hasn't been put across properly is that there's absolutely no guarantees that the kinds of things that they voted for with Brexit are going to be better or that are going to serve them better. And I think that's the, the thing that, you know, really people need to come together about and start to think about. So um, it's, uh, you know, perhaps something positive to take from this is I think that people are more engaged and people will start to question their role in the world and their work and how they're rewarded for that work. And all of those kind of things and, you know, and their relationships with institutions and politics and all that stuff. So there could be something really exciting that comes out of this in terms of just making people more politically aware and politically engaged. And I think that level of apathy that often exists when you have a very stable setup for a long time is something that occasionally you do need things to, to shake it up and, and to, to, to kind of get people to be in that more questioning of mode. And, you know, in all honesty, I mean, the, uh, this episode with Lisa Lux, I, just, the timing of this is really interesting. I recorded a load of episodes while I was over in the States and Canada. And while I was recording those, I made the decision to, to basically put all of those out uh, sort of back to back and to, to bank up and wait on the ones that I've recorded in the UK. Uh, with the exception of one, there's one American one, which is going to go out a bit later. 
But I made this decision to to put the American ones and the Canadian ones out closer to when they were recorded, and then to put the the UK ones that I'd recorded earlier out after that. So Lisa's episode has been kind of you know when like money is like burning a hole in your pocket kind of thing. It's like her files have been like burning a hole in the folder on my screen, and I've been itching to get this episode out, but. The fact that it's the timing has just come round so perfectly to be it's the first episode post referendum and it's Lisa Lux is just really beautiful and you're going to hear why uh, Lisa is just she's a very radical thinker as you're going to hear very anti-establishment she certainly doesn't pretend to know all the answers uh, but she just has this very refreshing curiosity about her and she has some really great questions you know so she um, uh, really thinks a lot about thinks very deeply about what it means to be human, her own place in the world, what humans are for. She really plays with tensions. I think this is really important right now where we've got people feeling very divided on one side or another. She's a very radical left-leaning political poet and then she also sells her words to the Daily Telegraph, Britain's most right-wing broadsheet. So she really plays with tension and, and, and plays with some of those different perspectives. So yeah, just really loved her enthusiasm, her creativity, very, very curious, inspiring woman. And uh, I think in confusing times that really call for us to all think a little bit differently, we need people with that curiosity and creativity that Lisa has. And so um, I just really enjoyed this conversation, as you're going to hear. And we just had a great time. So as I said, we recorded this about three months ago. It was a very sunny morning in Brighton, spring morning. And I'd given Lisa all the details for, you know, how to get cabs and buses and stuff uh, to my place. And uh, because it was a sunny day, she decided to walk. So um, that's fine, except for my house is up a massive hill, like a really massive hill. So we started uh, the conversation talking about the benefits of walking up really massive hills. Actually, being an uphill walk was really lovely because I had a meditation this morning, a breath meditation, and it kind of reconnected with my breath in so much as I was running out of breath. Yeah. So at least it made me aware of my breath in one sense or another. Yeah, walking up Elm Grove, the big hill there, is like um, you have to connect with your breath. There is, yeah. <laughs> there's no choice other than to no. do that. So. No, exactly. Cool. Yeah. So welcome to the sheds. And what brings you to Brighton? So what's, what's the rest of your day looking like? Well, I am south of the country anyway today. So usually I'm in West Yorkshire and I have uh, sunk down into the feet of the country for uh, for another event that I'm doing later today, which is going to be a summit on creative bravery. But that's going to be in London. So, um, so yes, yeah, so it was really nice to um, pop down to Brighton actually and have a little mosey around the, the lanes. And then, uh, and then come over to your shed. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, good. Um, so you're a writer, editor and performer. Mm-hmm. We were talking just before we press record about labels and how, you know, like those crucial three or four words to uh, describe yourself. So maybe let's start with just how do you spend your days? So let's just start with that. Like what, what are the sort of main things that you've got on the go right now, for example? Well, the main things I've got on the go, I've been commissioned to write quite a few articles at the moment, mainly at the moment on LGBT issues and equality, equality in the workplace and also trans. One recent recent article that I wrote was uh, transgenderism actually being visible in the mainstream. Uh, and But I'm also working on a on a stage show as well at the minute. And then I'm, and I'm always kind of got proud ticking on in the background yeah. as well. So, but I'm quite lucky in the sense that I can never give that a, a, a run of the mill answer because every day every week is different 
I don't, and I'm really, really bad at planning ahead in that sense as well. Like, I, like my birthday's coming up in not too long, and I can't even plan around that because I don't <laughs> yeah. even know what's going to happen. It's really, really great, and I, I need that spontaneity in my life actually to feel fresh. So, and we met last year when you were doing some work for the Daily Telegraph, mm. and we just hit it off over lunch really didn't we in uh, that little place in Surrey where we had lunch which is really cool yeah and you were telling me about Prowl magazine and what I love on the, the website for Prowl magazine is your manifesto mm. so I just wanted to read a little bit of your manifesto because I just think it um, it sums up I think some of some of what I know of you and I just thought that'd be quite a nice place to start so this is the uh, uh, give us the website link first and so that people can go and read the whole thing sure uh, the, the, the website URL yeah, yeah. it's proudhouse.com or if you get lost it's proudhouse.info I bought both okay <laughs> <laughs> I have like I don't know how many domains I own now but you know you just go oh I better have that one as well and I've got all the dot .nets and dot .orgs and all that stuff yeah exactly um, so, them up. so on your manifesto um, it's got it has the following piece which is artists have vacated the helm of opposition and change lured away by cash money and social media validation an artist's response to the world around them is now dictated by viewers and buyers rather than their own human response to stimuli how can we as a race of artists continue to derail the wrongdoers whom hold the power in our society if we self-censor compromise integrity and bow to the censorship dictated by others I just think, wow, as I read that, and it really makes me feel like you're on a mission. Like you just have a very deep sense of uh, of, of mission and of uh, and of passion for the work that you're doing, and that sense of being an artist. So I just thought I really wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, well, I I do. I definitely feel like I'm on a mission. I feel like I'm on on a few missions, but I think the the uh, way to describe all of those in one umbrella term is to wake people up. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So uh, if it's like Terence McKenna says, if you don't have a plan, you end up part of somebody else's plan. Mm. You know. So if you don't have a, a structure and a reason for getting up and a why, then you, you'll end up being swept up in somebody else's who, why, and what, and that might not be uh, a very healthy place for you. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that if everybody had a mission and everybody does have a mission and everyone is born with a mission, especially in the time that we're in now where I think that we're on the brink of a kind of communal uh, liberation worldwide, that if everybody can tune into their own mission and adhere to that mission then the world has become a very, very, very exciting place. Absolutely. And another line from your manifesto is... Uh, the biggest existential, economical and political crisis of the 21st century is what happens when humans become redundant. <laughs> yeah. And I get a very deep sense of, in everything I've seen of you online and your poetry and everything else that you do, um, something very... You're very conscious of being a human and you're very conscious of the interplay between humans and machines and humans and digital and human and online. So... Tell us how that came about as like an interest area to you. Like, why why is that such a fascinating topic? Well, actually, I was working at the Sunday Times a few years ago, and it, I was I was there for about a year and a half, and it was the first big corporate job that I had. My uh, manager was uh, the uh, persuasion where she might email me at midnight, right? Um, and I developed what we're now calling email anxiety 
I had this really great conversation. I, I, I was interviewing um, Ben Hammersley, who's a futurist. He, he coined the term podcast. Okay. Yeah, he's a very, very, very intelligent, interesting man. Mm. And uh, I was interviewing him for Tank magazine. And he started talking to me about all these ideas of, of what happens in 10 years' time if, uh, uh, for example, a government that we don't know and therefore cannot yet trust decide that, uh, let's say, swearing is now illegal. Mm. for example and they can then do a search online and pick up everyone who's ever used those terms and start a witch hunt upon yeah. you and this is very much something that we're seeing now we see this happen now very much so you know we know that we're constantly being monitored we're constantly being watched I grew up on the web I, I, I had a mobile phone when I was when I was about 10 years old I had my first mobile phone yeah and that means that I learned a lot of life lessons on uh, a screen like how to flirt mm. you know yeah. <laughs> and what have you so uh, this pressure of this kind of corporate blackberry abuse, as we'll call it, was getting the better of me. And uh, I, I, w- I was just awfully stressed all the time. So eventually I left. I left the Sunday Times not about two months after having this conversation with Ben Hammersley. And I got the next plane to California. And when I got there, I threw my phone in the bin. <laughs> and I just spent three months with the um, presence of direct experience, just being there and... Uh, it culminated in in this moment of uh, I'm going to go I'm going to use the e word enlightenment. It was definitely a moment of things falling into place mm. uh, in um, Yosemite National Park. So just inundated with glorious natural beauty, and I came back then and I knew and I, I'd kept I'd, I wasn't sure when I was going to come back. I kept moving my my, pla- my um my plane date and um, and what have you. And eventually after I went there, I said okay, I've got to go back in a week and get my stuff together. I'm going to go back. I really knew what I had to do then. I had to come back, back and start telling everybody else, put your phone down, look up, look up. I felt like when I went over there, I was looking up at the world for the first time. Wow. So it, it, it was all of those kind of factors coming together. And then since then, I've been, I have been on that mission. For a little while, I was referring to myself as anti-tech. I'm not anti- anti-tech. Sometimes I do think that you need to go to the furthest reaches of what you believe in to then start to kind of come back. Mm. Like I have made reconciliation with the net and for all it's beautiful for the fact that we have a global community gathering which can also gather speed on on uh, on this global awakening if you like uh, the fact that if there are big political figures coming into power many of us can can notice online that we're all that there are other people who are who are who are not happy with that as well so there, there is that sense of faith and trust though it does also reveal a lot of ugly things about humanity as well but um but on the whole it, it is about ben hammersley put it really well actually he said we're at this stage with technology where when you go to university and you start drinking for the first time, or p- potentially this is the first time you've had the freedom to drink whenever you want, yeah. you binge drink. Yeah. So we've got technology now and we're, and we're binging on it and we're binging on it and we're binging on it and we've just got to develop our adult relationship with it. And once we develop that, it can start to stabilise a little bit more and it'll hopefully be a bit healthier. I feel like that's happening at the moment, isn't it? Like it feels like the... I mean, even the corporate uh, move towards thinking about mindfulness and being aware of mindfulness, to me, feels like a way of... It, for me, that's a reaction to the fact that so many people in those corporations are fried and feeling burnt out. Yeah. Mainly by that technology and the 
the sort of phone email <clears throat> late night addiction stuff that you were talking about before as well so it kind of feels like to me there is a bit of a reaction against that I think so I think so and it's funny because I've been talking about this for about for about four years now and when I first started talking about it people weren't ready to listen to it but because of the speed of mm. of, uh, of the way that we move now because we're mirroring technology we're also moving on quite fast in yeah. our kind of resistance to it as well and there's, there's things like uh like the light phone, which is coming out now, which works alongside your smartphone, but uh, which is beyond me. But never mind. But the point is that it only it only takes and, and makes calls, and it does nothing okay. else. So it's like so a dumb phone. It's just a dumb. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the opposite of a smartphone, the dumb phone. Exactly. Um, I mean, for me, you might as well just go get an old Samsung for a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> but whatever, it's up to you. If you want. It's a pretty savvy looking gadget, so whatever. But. Um, so there's things like that and there's also more and more uh, companies starting up that allow you to uh, block the time that you're allowed on your social mm. media so they lock you out after a certain time which yeah. is really really good for people who don't have that willpower to do that which a lot of us don't because we're addicted to it yeah and what's your relationship with it now so I know you're on Twitter because yeah. we were tweeting earlier and stuff but has that changed in terms of where you were, where you threw that phone in the bin in California to now, like, what's your relationship with no, all of that it's, stuff? it's like, I mean, it is an addiction and it, it, it's, it's like with anything, like, there are peaks and troughs and, like, I am not by, by no means the person who I would like to, you know, I wouldn't even say would like to be, but the healthiest version of myself, technologically speaking. Mm. But that's why I can I can kind of talk about it from from a point of view of somebody who is hooked on it and who feels like I am missing out on life because of it because every now and then I look up and go what am I doing yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. but I mean you know sometimes I'll go through phases and it really depends on my mood as well and I've noticed this that when I'm feeling really manic when I'm having moments of of, of losing control of, of like my thoughts and they're going really really fast the only thing that I feel I can keep up is Twitter <laughs> because there are so many thoughts like a, you know a second it's like ding 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 and it's great and it's really really like dirty satisfying you know but at the same I've time I've never thought of like, Twitter in that way before yeah but at the same time it's like I come off it and it feels like I've just been like, you get that dirty feeling that, as if you know you've just had your uh, laptop open on porn and someone's walked <laughs> in you know oh god I'm so like you know you feel a bit dirty or something but well, by the time you finally come off it you're like wow two hours have passed and I've done nothing you know, and uh, you can give a lot to yourself to it as well. I find, especially as a writer, it's quite. I, I have to really limit myself on things that I put on there because you can lose a lot of good material by just tweeting it out there yeah. one line and being <laughs> right. like, "God damn! If I'd have saved all those ideas, that'd be a masterpiece." And I guess you, <laughs> but I guess you can, can't you? I mean, can't you put? I mean, you, like a lot of comedians will put jokes out on Twitter and almost like test them out first and then put you, them into a set and stuff. So I think, not- I think, yeah, you, you you definitely can. You, you in fact, you certainly can. But I think that it's that's a lot more calculated and a lot more mm. thought through and what I'm talking about is unconsciously having a thought popping it on Twitter yeah. sending it off that's that thought dealt with that's for you that thought that you've done something with that right. with that thought yeah. that you thought that see, you, yeah. you know yeah. that, that valuable thought um, so uh, you know I'm saying these things and it's not like everybody has these issues if you like some people are very good at this but there are a lot of us who, who, who aren't and it's a, a lot of kind of people um who I seem to be around, who I see um, using social media in these ways, and I've had a lot. Of, I've had to reconcile a lot with being online and being on social media, and not just having my uh, 
pages, not just having my Twitter and my Instagram, but also having Pral's Twitter and Pral's mm, Instagram. Yeah. And I came off Facebook because I, I felt like that was just really, really unhealthy. Are you off Facebook now? Yeah, completely yeah. off Facebook, yeah. Which is... Uh, which and is, did, you, did you permanently destroy or did you leave it deactivated for like, I could go back in the future? No, I took it down, yeah. Completely? I completely, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I completely deleted it. Um, which is really good, but it's funny because when you're like traveling and, and you meet people and they're like, oh, let's keep in touch. Have you got Facebook? And like, <laughs> no. no. like, all oh, right, okay, cool. We'll have a good life then. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, there's actually something quite valuable in that as well because I, I do quite enjoy leaving people in the moment that I met them. Yeah. In a sense, unless they're going to continue to be a part of my life on the regular. I don't necessarily need to see their meandering thoughts. And But then I also, I, to- I totally agree with you on that. But then I also know that I, like so many other people, just really hate permanent goodbyes. It's just a horrible mm. thing. <laughs> I uh, worked with a guy a few years ago who just had that sense of hating permanent goodbyes even more than I did. And he had this thing where when he would meet people travelling, he'd be travelling with them for a couple of weeks or whatever. Yeah. And then before, on like the last night or whatever, he'd say, oh yeah, I'll be around in the morning, I'll see you at like 11 or whatever. And then he would sneak off at like 10 in the evening. Oh yeah, yeah. Just to avoid the social awkwardness of a permanent goodbye and the emotions of that and whatever. So I think maybe a lot of people do that on Facebook because it's like that, you know, let's let's find some, let's keep the option open that at some point in the future. But yeah, I totally with you, it's good to. I, I almost moment, feel like it? it dilutes yeah. like the experience that you had with them because, mm. like, I, like you know, you travel and you have these like absolutely like glorious experiences with people that are completely unforgettable, and then you get them on Facebook, and that memory that you had of them kind of diminishes. I believe the more that you that they are in your presence, you know, their presence is within your life yeah. in this online capacity. Like they just start living as this person on your friends list. Who you spend, you know, the rest of your time thinking, should I delete them off my friends? They're not really speaking <laughs> yeah. or not. You know, <laughs> and I don't like permanent goodbyes either per se, but I also just think it's probably because we're not used to them so much. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we're so used to being able to go, all right, well, I'll get your number or something, and you, you know, we'll we'll keep in touch. But you you probably don't, and it's probably going to be strained if you do. Because sometimes you meet someone in a certain circumstance because they have something to give you in that time and circumstance, not yeah. necessarily something to continue giving you. There's only so much you can you can give to other people as well. Like yeah. for, I feel the same. There are time and spaces where I was there to exist in that space to give you something and share something with you, but I don't have anything to keep giving you after that. And also, it's so transient as well compared to. I mean, you talk a lot and write a lot about humans as a species and as an animal mm. and. I think we are evolutionarily speaking more set up to be to be, to live in small villages and to have a small network of people around us and so the idea of global travel and the idea of lots of connectedness that isn't within our geography is maybe just difficult for the brain to process a little bit and you know I think certainly that ha- having more than say 20 friends there's all those studies isn't there where like having more than 20 friends is just a really difficult thing and there's my technology my technology there's my, <laughs> my reminders going off with diary stuff which is probably the diary thing saying we, we're I'm, doing I'm this podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably fine but yeah so I think that whole sort of um, you know that again the way technology has allowed us to have all of the make all these different connections and have so many people in our lives is perhaps something that we haven't quite either evolved as a species to be able to take into account or we haven't reacted against to move move against it and go back to the sort yeah. of village rules if you like you know? I think um, 
I saw this uh, really good campaign and it was the, the essence of it was works in fact you probably know about it work smarter not harder mm. and uh, one of the, the kind of rules that they gave if you like was uh, foster meaningful relationships rather than many relationships mm. and I found that's something that a lot of people do you know the bigger your contacts list the more kind of successful the more chance of success you've got which in a sense is true the more people you meet of course the more doors open but I also think that the less people that are in your life, the, the more wonderful and inspiring those relationships can be, the more time that you can give to them. We were yeah. talking earlier about how I've moved back up to West Yorkshire, living in a town again, and after living in London for, for years, and that's so nice to be able to kind of go out on an evening and go into you know a, a space where there's music and poetry happening and turn around and see you know, now on every person who I absolutely adore. Right, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, wow, everybody's here, the whole gang, that is great, you know, and you spend the whole night together and not have to like plan that, but just be there together and almost be brought together um, uh, by something more divine. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in a small town as well and it was that thing of... Um, are you going to the pub? And there was only yeah. one pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was loads of pubs, but there was the one pub that had your sort of music and that your people would go to and yeah. it was habitual every Friday, every Saturday or whatever. But just knowing that even if your closest three or four friends weren't there, your drinking buddies from three weeks ago would be there or, you know, they'd totally. just other people that you would know would be there. Yeah. London doesn't have that, does it? No, it's I don't think so. And, it, and it's funny because there were a lot of things that, like, I, I wanted to, like, create, like, projects that I've had in mind and wanted to create and just uh, things that have been, even if they're not fully formed ideas, just kind of notions of wanting to get certain things out of my system or, or, or whatever or put certain things out there. And when I'm in a small town, I feel, that feels more possible because... There are lots of people there that are forming this really tight community that are really willing to help each other out. You've got more time for it. And mm. you foster, as we were saying, you foster these kind of like really meaningful relationships with them and thus you're around to lend to one another. You know, uh, for example, a friend of mine has been wanting to set up her sound studio in her home. She's an amazing singer. Set up this sound studio in her home for ages, but she can't do it herself. So, like, somebody else, like, this this uh, um, uh, rapper and producer, like, just can pop around on Tuesday, she'll cooking food, set it up for her. And you just think, in London, that'd take, like, a really long time for him to be able to fit that into his yeah, schedule. Yeah. You'd probably end up just having to pay someone to come and set it all up <laughs> for you because time is money and the more people that, you know, uh, have got a demand on your time. It's the same with technology. The mm. more time notifications you've got going off, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess there's just probably... The quality of that relate those relationships yeah and perhaps in a big city there's a lot less of a sense of interconnectedness everyone's doing mm. their thing and everyone's very individual and it's kind of yeah. it's that sort of Thatcher ideal I guess isn't it in, in many ways but just the fact that you see you as being a member of a community rather than you as an individual alongside 10,000 other individuals on that tube or whatever you, wherever you are. Something. Yeah, definitely. You can feel yeah. a bit like a stone like sinking in the sea, really, when you when there's so many people. It's beautiful because there's, you know, there's anonymity and what have you uh, in the city if you wish for it. Um, yeah, at the same time, it's kind of nice to feel like, you've, like, like, like there's a network, yeah. which I feel like the more people that are in your life, the less of a network it actually creates. So just coming back to the vision to set up Prowl, I mean, did Prowl come about as a magazine, like from your experience in California and that sense of wanting to come back and wake people up? Is, is that where Prowl originated from? Yeah, actually, I started running, it, it evolved from a zine and performance night that I used to do called Howl. 
and I, w- I was running that before I was running that for, for like quite some time like in the north um, and it was a zine but it was or it, it was still then very it was very tactile and it was about coming into interaction with it so for example I'd have suede covers it was all about the feeling oh, okay. of touch and Lovely. scent and what have you or it'd have like a studded spine or something <laughs> so it was all about the feeling of actually interacting and engaging with something and you could only pick it up if you came to this experience mm. event that we'd put on okay. so you'd be a part of something and then you were given one of these zines and uh, and then when I wanted to start doing that on kind of a bigger scale and it wasn't quite possible to do to, to have those means of production um, it, it, it definitely came it, it, that's when it became pra- a prowl basically and evolved to that and something that could be um, distributed more widely Mm. Uh, but still kind of held those beliefs but started to be a little bit more um, polished about it if you like yeah, a little yeah, bit more polished yeah. not too much don't be too polished right? <laughs> <laughs> but I love like the names of the articles in uh, on the Prowl website so Yakety Yak an interview with Ryan Bock Interstellar Communication Aliens Teach Us About Our Future uh, Sweet Talk The Power of Language so you cover like some really interesting and varied topics with all of that stuff and where do you like, where do you get the initial sparks from to create those pieces of writing? Or, like, what, what are the things that drive you around it? Well, um, I, ju- I, I try to think of a theme. Like, for each issue, I've had a theme. And at the moment, we're in the evolution season. Hmm. Uh, so I'm kind of looking at how we may evolve and how we may have already evolved. There's a, there's a piece on there by a poet called David Lee Morgan, who's an like, excellent spoken word artist, award-winning spoken word artist. And his, his piece is Evolution is Over. He believes that humans will not evolve any further because <laughs> we've handed it over te- to technology now. Right, OK. Um, and, and so some, sometimes it's me saying to people doing this on evolution, what are you thinking? Do you want to you know, put in an essay or a thought or an article or a poem mm. or a piece of art? And people come up with ideas. But... Um, Otherwise, it's just kind of me brewing on the theme of evolution for a while and seeing what comes up. Like, uh, for ex- you know, for example, the the language one, the evolution of language. That's really that's a really interesting piece. That's a like really short essay, um, and it's from this girl called uh, Eleanor Cavell. And uh, yeah, we've been talking about evolution and and how language evolved, and then how if we continue to evolve language, it will give us more social change because we'll have the linguistics that we need mm. to be able to make those changes. For example, if there are more words to describe mental illness, yeah, you know, if there are more kind of uh, pronouns to describe genders and and what have you. So essentially, it's just conversations within the the kind of like thinkers and, and, and artists around me we kind of talk about these ideas and see what comes forth but it's a lot more organic than that I'm making yeah. it sound like we sit in a meeting there's no such thing like it's just kind of uh, yeah it's, it's constantly exploring what it is to be human and I'm just looking at different aspects of that all the time yeah. and because essentially it's me also trying to understand more myself what it is to be human but that's not something that you can decide on your own I'm only one of them and that whole thing there around the evolution of language yeah I mean leads me quite nicely onto like when we met one thing that really struck me about you straight away was here's someone who's selling words but in some really different ways so working for the Daily Telegraph on the one hand probably the most I suppose in terms of the the broadsheet newspapers you'd say would be the most conservative. And then you're working in some really radical spaces and with really radical subject matter. And some of that's paid and some of that's unpaid and some of that's stuff that's 
completely driven by passion and some of that's driven more by money I guess and it just struck me that there's a I mean there is a real power with words isn't there and you know that whole idea of um, making your making your craft and making your living around selling words I think is a really interesting one so tell me how how do you meld those things together and like how does that sit the fact that it's like you you might be selling words that might be a common thread but there's some very different ways that you're doing that and how you work with words is very different presumably well first I say I get like my fascination is it's kind of like a like a science like if I put words in different ways will I be able to kind of crack the code almost mm. you know in, in, in kind of uh, some kind of understanding or making like others perhaps and understand things but essentially it's the Trojan horse isn't it like you have something that you want to get out there and you yeah. just want to try and put it out there in as many different ways as possible right okay. because you've got to speak as many different languages as possible because words are generally actually relatively insignificant in, in explaining what is actually happening beneath but if you can try it in as many different ways to kind of push these you know we've got the Daily Telegraph language and that's something that, that, that a certain, you know, uh, subsect of, of people in this country speak. Right, okay. And then you've got the language... Just say a little bit more about that, because I'm conscious if people are outside the UK or have never picked up the Daily Telegraph, what, what, what do you mean when you say that's a language that certain people speak? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's as you say, it's a broadsheet newspaper corporate, relatively corporate, uh, well, it's it, not relatively, it's a massive corporation, but um, corporate way of, of speaking. And it's a very straightforward and, you say, pretty right-wing. Hmm. Yeah, there's, a, there's only a set of political assumptions being yeah. made by the people who are reading it and certainly by the people who are writing it. Yeah, but the reason why I ever wanted to work there was because it was that entity mm. it was that entity and I think if if you're only going to allow if I'm going to sit there and go well telegraph readers can read what, the, what telegraph readers are going to read then I'm not going to be any part of that <laughs> then they're going to just continue to to believe in what is what is being put in those papers yeah. whereas if I go, go uh, and start trying to put some of my words into there and okay yeah they'll be whittled a little bit into into a certain template and into a certain form but yeah. If, if I even get one opportunity to put, like, even some seed of more uh, kind of radical thought in there to make people just question something, then I'm reaching uh, uh, the audience that need to be perhaps spoken to. So there's no point me going, OK, Prowl is wonderful, it's gorgeous and it's beautiful and so many people come together and it's, you know, encourages this, this global community. And But I very much know that I am preaching to the converted, on the whole, we, th- yeah. we do start up a lot of debates, but generally it's people who believe a certain way. And but then preaching to the Daily Telegraph is kind of, they're so far from that yeah. crowd audience that, I mean, you must come against, you must rub up against a lot of tension with that and a lot of Yeah, well, I was talking earlier, it's funny because I, I mentioned earlier this, this trans piece that I did about transgenderism. Mm. And when I sent that in to the editor, it was originally sent back to me, all these two, like, <laughs> So you must, like, press send and then just sort of wince with something like, what are they going to say? Yeah, it's more Which like, bits are yeah, they going to pick apart and all that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not, even, it's not even when I press send, it's more when I see it go live. Yeah, right, Because okay. I, get, cause I get something coming to my inbox to tell me yeah. if, I've, if something's gone live. Like, these Google alerts, I don't know if I've been mentioned or whatever yeah. or something. So I see it go live. And I saw that one go live the other day and I thought, I'm not going to look at that yet because it's this. Do you, do you read the comments? 
Do you know what? Because there aren't actually any comments on that one. Okay. But I general, general, as a rule of thumb, I'd tell any writer never to read the comments. Yeah, because like, that's my general... I don't yeah. read reviews anymore. I've just realised yeah, that it's not good about for it. me as a human. <laughs> no, exactly, that, so yeah. I just, I just leave all that bit. Let people have their, have their say. They, they're mm. not necessarily doing it for you. They're doing it for them, yeah. I think. So. But equally, what I'm writing about is much less controversial or contentious probably than most of the things that you write yeah yeah and it's quite interesting because putting doing that piece on there was I mean I was always going to kind of come up against something and I did like really uh, I wouldn't say censor myself because I think that's an awful thing to do and I think censorship is a dirty word but uh, but I was very aware because it's a telegraph audience so it's only going to make harder work for me if I send in something that's going to just yeah. be sent back to me a million times. So I tried to do it as, as um, within their language as I could, but it still came back to me. You know, okay, this is really polemic, and you need to kind of if you if you we're going to do this, you need to kind of take ownership as an activist. And I just thought, I'm not being an activist, I'm just being a decent <laughs> human being. Like, <laughs> so usually I have to like read the email and then go for a walk and calm down, and <laughs> yeah, right. before like just firing back and just being like what's wrong with you like this is just how things should be said but yeah obviously this is like part of the journey of writing for those publications mm. and you know that that's going to happen but it wasn't edited that much because I did kind of fight my corner and say like I really think that any journalist who isn't a bigot would write the exact same thing as I've written <laughs> and um and so, do you feel I mean do you feel like an outlaw when you do some of those things do you feel like do you, do you feel victimised by it I mean how, no, does, it, how I, does it make you feel with that I mean because that is a, an interesting relationship isn't it and I think that, at feel? the end of the day they come to me for a reason mm. they know what they know what I'm about and it's like the, my old boss there who who's like really great and like such a brilliant guy who he wasn't there when when when, when, um, when we met not that you'd have met him anyway, but it was, uh, it's still a really brilliant woman who's kind of like heading up that department now anyway. But he, when he got me on board, he knew who I was and he knew what I was about. Mm. And he said, bring it in. Like, I, like, I want to nice. see what you okay. can do with that. Cool. And so the team, the team there very much know what it, what it is that I'm yeah. about. So I, I always think that with, with anything, like similarly, I was, I was asked to perform at, um, at, at this charity event but it was in association with some very like, kind of corporate companies again like and that was last week and it was in London and the same thing happened oh well look at you know what are you going to perform and then I put forth <laughs> what I was going to perform it was too political and I just think again you, you, you come to me for a reason yeah. and then you get then you get afraid of what you've done but essentially it's going to make better content yeah because I'm going to say something I'll say something you know so, so you, I mean, and I think, some of the stuff that you do in terms of your poetry, it's you know, it's very anti-corporation. It's you know, it's very radical talking about uh, how revolutions might come about. It's yeah. some of that anti-tech stuff that we talked about before, and then there's the whole vagina thing as well, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and I, uh, when I was looking at doing some research around Prowl magazine, and came across the stuff that was in. Was it Cosmopolitan or something? And they had photos of T-shirts that you designed with like oh, big vaginas on the front yeah, of it and stuff like that. Would, yeah, so yeah, yeah. There's quite would... a few papers actually that like really, really <laughs> hit the papers, man. That was great. Like that was really cool because we basically did the it's breaking down the last taboo of sex. So yeah. I mean, the, 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 there was a range of T-shirts and the lead one, the kind of like uh, centerpiece of that range was the Happy Fanny T-shirt, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is okay. Like okay, like uh, seriously though, like. You know, I've got a performance piece that's about, it's called 
uh, it was called clitterbug, it's called lunatricity now, but it's about democracy and pleasure. Yeah. Like, yeah and, I'm, and I'm very serious about the fact that, you, you know, if there are women out there who aren't having their pleasure being seen as important as man's pleasure, which is very much the case, it's very, very much the case, then there are going to be unhappy women, unsatisfied women. It's a huge part of who mm. we are as human beings, our sexuality, you know, mo- most part of, of human nature anyway, not everybody, of course, but... So we put these T-shirts out there, but we put them on like quite a famous model at the same time. So, <laughs> right. And so uh, that was quite funny because like, pretty much every news outlet contacted us about them. Can I use these pictures? <laughs> oh my god! Like wow! Well, it was likened to like a move made by Madonna, and it, it, when, it, when they wrote about it in the Daily Mail, I thought, my god, it's an illustration of like of a happy vagina. <laughs> like, and it causes this much of a ruckus see what I mean like brilliant thank you yeah, yeah thank you very much for proving a point you know it was, it was quite funny but yeah some people a lot of them they were censored a lot of the like outlets a lot of the media outlets censored the t-shirts so they would print the photo of the model wearing it but then put a little strip yeah, across like the yeah like below the really? t-shirt honestly they're not that bad they, oh. I mean it looks quite sweet actually <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, it's uh, it's quite wonderful. I do wonder why people still come to me to ask me to do corporate things. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that just made me think. Like, you get what you what you've signed up for. Then really, yeah. I, I don't really hide like who what I believe in, and and uh, and, and I used to. Like I very much used to when I started out working with corporations. My my accent was different. Like um, mm. I was I was I was very much trying to fit in because I thought that's how you earn respect. And then I realised if you don't fit in, then one you're way more memorable anyway. Like if you're an individual, you're going to be what the people of the normal persuasion call weird. <laughs> mm. And actually being weird is actually memorable. Yeah. And so in a year's time, when somebody thinks about they need a poet. Are they going to remember all those poets who didn't really say anything? Yeah. You know, or are they going to remember that one who stood out and they're going to think, it's going to be a little bit of a risk, but I can probably talk to her about it. Yeah. You know, and so... And even your name, right? So your surname, Lux, that's presumably not your real surname. Well, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) So was that a conscious thing? I mean, L-U-double-X, it's like, I remembered that straight away, right? And it's like, that was that a conscious thing of let's let's be memorable and let's consciously be weird in that way no actually it wasn't it was more of uh i always i always say when people it's funny i was at an event the other week and people who knew me from um kind of working at the sunday times and what have you like a long time before said oh when did you get married and i was <laughs> right. like well i married myself actually <laughs> uh, and I, that's very much how i see it. i did i married myself i kind of like uh married the person of myself and became one with the person of myself who i really felt was my true identity mm. and and just allowed that really and and uh you know some people struggle to get on board when when you when you make a shift with your name um but I had a conversation with a really great like artist friend of mine who's called Zoni L. She sat me down. And she was like, "I've changed my name so many times. <laughs> like you could just do what you want. Like it's totally up to you. Like what your there name are no is. Rules, yeah, yeah there's absolutely no rules. It's so easy. Just do it. Yeah. And and she was right. And my name when I was a child, I was I was in I was uh, my background, but like a uh, very early background was I was uh, in foster care and then I was adopted. So my name changed a few times anyway. Right. You know. Yeah. So this was kind of me just taking ownership of that. It was never really for anyone else. It's for me. Like this now feels like like this is this is me. Yeah. And it helped me step up to being the person who I felt like I was, 
was never really for anybody else or for being memorable. But in fact, I I, I used to use just looks as a as a name that I did art under and, and DJed under there back in the day. Like, mm. but for most things, you can't have only have one name. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so so yeah. So That's it's, you need some more that. artistic coverage in uh, you're splashed across the Daily Mail and everything <laughs> else to then get to the stage where it's like well, you know Madonna it. or <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um, yeah. I suppose Zoella's the new one, isn't it? Right. So like Zoella is like a one name. That's true, actually. Thing, which yeah. is a fascinating thing by the fact that she's only known by one part of the population mainly that is kind of that's weird that's true isn't it? but also yeah I mean that's a very memorable name as well isn't it yeah Zoella I'm sure that was a deliberate marketing move just I, yeah. have, to have one name and I also think when you when your name is as memorable as Zoella people are going to drop your second name anyway mm. especially the press yeah so I mean that's a you know that whole thing around changing your name there like it sort of illustrates a lot of the other things you've been saying around just becoming comfortable in your own skin and not wanting to compromise. I love that thing of, well, they know what I'm like when they hire me. And so if they hire me, then I'm yeah. going to be me. And, you know, being that authentic version of yourself rather than the compromise, which I think everybody does. I mean, I, I know I do. You know, I mean, I don't, even the fact that when I go into a keynote, I don't wear the clothes that I would wear for the rest of the time I wear a business suit to fit in and to slightly power dress and to you know people mm. you, psychologically you you um, perhaps compromise a little bit of yourself in so many yeah. of those situations you know? I do think though that you can you know you can for example power dress and and, and f- fit into an ex- to an extent while still doing it your own way mm, yeah, like you know for, for example uh, if it's like, it's like you know go, going into the telegraph office for example it's not like I'm going to go in there in like kinky leather boots and you know <laughs> you know be you really like utterly provocative um, perhaps next time but <laughs> uh, but I go in in a, a respectable way but in my way of doing mm. that you know and and it's like, and it's, and it's lovely because then you go in and, and and people are excited for that energy because people are so bored like people are so bored. Like there's a big, <laughs> so, big problem. Really people are really bored. So it's almost like you know uh, a duty to humankind <laughs> to detract <laughs> from their boredom, like you know, just a little bit. Like you know, just give them something interesting to talk about. <laughs> I love that. Um, it strikes me that to be to have that insight and to have the confidence to do that, you have to be quite confident in yourself. So I'd love to just talk about you a bit more. And do you, I mean, is that something that you feel? Do you feel comfortable in your own skin, confident and? Yeah, more, more now, I suppose. Like, uh, and you know what? I think that actually has come from working for myself. Mm. Because, How long have you been self-employed? Uh, for about, well, on and off, but mostly on um, for about three just over three years okay. or something um, with some stints as, as I say working at Telegraph when you met yeah. me I was working in office then for about right. well I think it was a six month contract but I think I left early because and they knew I, was, I mean they knew I was going to because I, I just I can create better for them if I'm not in the office that <laughs> right. way. I yeah. really really can and yeah I think that that did cultivate a lot of kind of self-confidence and self-ex- self-expression because there's no good reason for me to any other way if I'm working for myself mm. um, but it's the whole thing of, I remember going from being in a pay packet job 
and admittedly my last job I was I was CEO of a charity so I was still kind of my own boss in some ways like I had a board but I was making a lot of my own decisions but even just going from that to you know the following week waking up on the Monday morning going right better go to work better do something (laughs) like earn some money like just that transition into okay so I get to decide a load of this stuff now I get to decide whether I have a nap I get you know it does open up your thinking I think around a sense of control around decisions that you can make and that sort of thing. Definitely, and it makes you so much more creative. It's like the, the like regularly I'm asked to come, come into office like a you know paper or whatever and do a stint editing for them and mm. creating content for them. And it's just like I, I, I've said that this year I'll not step foot in an, in an office in in that kind of capacity. Like just promise myself that because. I won't produce work that I'm proud of in that space. Yeah, I I, I just know know that I won't. It's like you say, be, being able to control when you have a nap, or as for me as well, it's cooking. <laughs> being able to decide, okay, I'm gonna have a meal now. I'm gonna cook myself yeah. something really, really nice. And whatever I want, not what the canteen's going to serve me. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. Whatever I want, I'm quite a fussy eater. And mm. when I like something, I'm going to want to make it for myself. And that in itself is artistry. And it, you know, being able to express yourself in a very familiar way, in uh, in a survival way. So as well, which is quite a comforting thing to know. I'm being expressive in a way that is going to make me live a little bit longer. <laughs> I, I but, feel bad that even though it's lunchtime, I've only offered you digestive biscuits. Then in that no, case, no, 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 no. love food. It, no, no, no. It, honestly, I, I am actually really fussy, so it's, it's actually much easier. <laughs> for everybody involved uh, she just offered me biscuits but um, being able to eat when I want because when I get hungry I'm not going to do anything (laughs) you know I'm governed by by, by things like that by my hunger which you know you should I mean uh, I have a friend who 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 says to me uh, we we're hungry and we eat we're horny and we have sex and, and, and that's it the rest is just noise <laughs> the rest is just noise and it is yeah. it kind of is you know okay there's a lot of arguments to say we've evolved past that but I think let's take it back to basics and and uh, if you've got control over over those things then you're always going to feel more liberated and work probably work harder as well actually yeah. like for me I, I, I'm not going to work best if, if I'm going to get up at 8 o'clock and go to an office I'm probably going to work best if I you know do as I will in the daytime and maybe start working in the evening mm. you know and, and, and work through, the, through well into the evening because that's when my brain gets into kind of like a certain gear and yeah. so uh, that kind of autonomy over your time and your outputs and what have you I think is, is really valuable um, and, and again it, and go back to the kind of confidence thing as well I think that that's also about like taking little risks and seeing how they go down. Yeah. Like, there, you know, a lot of conversations I've been, or meetings I've been in where I've kind of said something and uh, it's probably not what they've, people have really wanted saying in a meeting or something, <laughs> but but it's been fine. And you yeah. just go like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> like it's, it's and is that back to the boredom thing again? Like, so you're, you know, you can throw those things in, but you know that even if people are slightly offended by it, they'll still be kind of entertained. Uh, yeah, like, totally. There's I a corporate level of, versus a human level. Exactly. I remember coming out of one meeting and everyone just like cracking up laughing. He's going, I've never heard anything said like that in a meeting. That was brilliant. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, that's great. Like, look, they're all so happy. <laughs> they all enjoyed what could have been a really boring meeting. Good. Okay, fine. Not that I was like, you know, playing up to such a thing, but it's just like, oh, that's a relief actually. And someone might take to you and say, like, oh, you know, don't know, probably shouldn't have said that, but they get over it. Mm. <laughs> they get over yeah. it. And people remember, uh, who is it who says, people will remember, uh, Maya Angelou, people will remember what you said or what you do, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Mm. 
Yeah, it's quite a nice way to kind of like, you know, go yeah, to live yeah, yeah. by, actually. Don't worry too much about the smaller detail of what you're saying and doing. Just kind of think about how you're going to make people feel. And you do push outside their comfort zone, it's always going to be a bit of a good thing. It's not in an aggressive, never be aggressive, I'm not saying that, you know, but yeah, it's a but good, yeah, but good cha- argument for taking Challenge the rules and do things a little bit differently, I yeah. think, absolutely. So back to Lisa Lux in a few moments. And before we do that, I just wanted to take a couple of minutes to talk about this, this post-Brexit world and how we deal with uncertainty and change and some of the, the productivity perspectives around that. So I'm going to say three things. I think all these things were really important before the referendum. I just think they got a whole load more vital. So the first one is in order to equip your team for a time of change, you've got to start that by being personally equipped to deal with change and really get back to basics in terms of having good personal systems, having a good second brain so that you have a place that you can hold and park all of those projects and actions and free up your own brain to really think about complexity and strategy and decision making and and really you know being much more prioritized in the way you think. So uh, just getting back to some of those basics around personal productivity, having a good second brain. If you don't know what a second brain is, go and read my book, How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And uh, I think it's just much easier from a place of clarity and control to help other people. You know, I think from a place where you feel like you really know what you're doing and, and really clear about where people need to be headed, it's much easier to give that leadership. And it's also much easier to identify certainty and put your attention on the things where you are certain that you can make some kind of a difference versus the sort of stuff where you just end up worrying about stuff that you have no control over. And I think, you know, it's very easy to, to, to wish things would go away or try and bury your head in the sand. But actually, you know, in order to move forward with stuff, we've got to really accept realities at different times. And I think trying to control the news or the weather or whatever is just the worst place you can be. So focus on the things that you can take action about and make a difference around. Uh, Second is resilience. I think we often talk about resilience in terms of company resilience or team resilience or balance sheet resilience. And I think personal resilience is really overlooked. So as well as having good systems in place and all that stuff I talked about a moment ago, it's also about, you know, recognising the need to be kind to yourself, which is often the thing that goes out the window. I was, I was in a, a company last week just after the, um, the referendum and uh, it felt like there was a real, like actually in one of the teams, there was a really strong sense of kind of blind panic. We now need to just hunker down and really just get through stuff and whatever. And I don't think they'd really taken that step back to work out, okay, so what's going to equip us to be resilient and at our best for the next sort of period and the other team actually were quite serene and quite uh they seem to have it all in their stride but yeah i mean i think the um the idea of when times are tough it's often the hardest time to take naps or take a break or go for a five minute walk and i think generally tired and confused people make really bad decisions so just remember that and be kind to yourself in terms of giving yourself the right kind of recovery and sleep and rest and all the stuff that will help you to to, to manage through a difficult time and to um, to really work out, you know, what some of these changes are going to mean to you in the next few months and years. Um, I think increasingly we're going to be talking about e-resilience as well. So our ability to maintain a healthy relationship and a sustainable relationship with connectivity and with devices, mobile devices and 
and all of that stuff. And I think there are more people than we perhaps in society realise driving themselves nuts with their phones and with uh, iPads and, and the like. I mean, Lisa, again, just the most perfect guest to have on for this week because she has so, such a lot to say around the the sort of human to digital relationship interface, whatever you want to call that stuff. And I think we just need to think about that more in the times ahead, particularly when there's, you know, there's going to be so, it just feels like there's so much more news now than there was like a week ago. It's like, there's just so much happening. Um, and the final one is just, just to really remember that turbulent times actually bring with them a lot of gifts. I think one of those is that they really force you to think about what matters. I remember going through a really difficult time a few years ago when I worked in a, a charity that was going through a big funding issue and it really threatened the whole life of the charity. And, you know, in that moment, what it really forces you to do is to rein back in a lot of the stuff that you're doing and really focus on what matters most. Back to basics. What are our values? What are we trying to do? What's the help that we offer? And I think in these kind of turbulent times, they can actually be quite an, an interesting opportunity to, to grasp certain nettles, you know, to say no to things that we no longer want to do and to really hone and develop the stuff that really does matter and really does make a difference. So it's kind of an 80-20 rule kind of thing here, uh, but really to be much more ruthless with what's on your plate and hone in on the vital stuff and really follow that stuff that feels most truest for you and for your your work and your your business and organization and team and everything else. So I think those are just three things I just wanted to say just on this this post-Brexit world. I think lots of people are scared. Uh, I also think lots of people are blasé and the reality will be somewhere in the middle. I don't think it'll be as bad as the apocalyptic forecasts. Uh, I don't think it will be as plain sailing either as uh, some of the, the Brexiteers might have you believe. The reality will be somewhere in the middle. And I think it will cause everybody to be questioning their own productivity and their own place in the world. And work-life balance is going to become more and more of an issue over the next couple of years as a result of this, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, I hope those are useful thoughts. I'd love to know what you think. I'd love to um, hear your thoughts on this stuff too. So um, just drop me a line, uh, graham at thinkproductive.co.uk and on the Twitter at Graham Alcott. And as I said before, I'm no longer on Facebook. Thank goodness for that. Anyway, back to Lisa Lux, the second part of our interview. And as I said uh, at the beginning, these kind of interesting times call for interesting thinkers. I hope you'll agree. Just some really fascinating stuff um, here in this conversation. So back to Lisa Lux. Um, it feels to me like a lot of your work has an air of the apocalyptic about it. And uh, I wondered if you... I wonder if you're happy thinking about, because it feels like some of those things that you think about and talk about are very, you know, you could get very depressed at the state of the world. Yeah. Um, and I just wondered if that, because it's such an expression of you, do you find that hard to switch off? And is there is there a work-life balance or is it like, this is me and this is my mission and it's kind of all... Yeah, it's kind of all which which can get quite depressing actually, mm. and and I've I've I definitely kind of suffer with, with that in in a sense as well. Sometimes you can feel like there's absolutely no hope, but I think the way that I deal with that is by kind of looking. I'm going to use the word studying, you know, reading, listening to talks and what have you about um, 
things like quantum physics. Yeah. Things that make you realise how bloody small it all is. And, and, <laughs> and are we, are but we, that can be as depressing as it is inspiring yeah. as well, depending yeah, on how you're looking I suppose so, yeah. But, I mean, for example, now I'm reading a book called The, about, called the Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. Have you, have you no. come across that? It's a really interesting book. I've, I've, I've only just started it, but it's essentially the theory that everything that we see and, and the universe is not much less than a hologram. Mm. Um, and it kind of puts it all into perspective a little bit and makes it all a little bit more manageable. And, and for example, when I was working, when I've been working kind of like high pressure and like kind of quite st- stressful environments, the way that I deal with that is just imagine the world just kind of like hanging in space. It's just tiny blue little dot <laughs> hanging in space. Oh, it's all okay. It's fine. It's manageable. It's all right. And there's that thing of getting outside of your body and yourself and just being like I'm just tapping away on a little plastic keyboard and then you zoom out and zoom out and zoom out and yeah. there's just like there's you know the, the globe floating around yeah and- totally and also I think the other way of like kind of um, quite hopeful way of looking at it as well is that to recognise that you know it is a world of polarities so mm. as apocalyptic as things can be and as awful as things can be like you know for example like uh, Mr Trump now kind of uh, making his market yeah I was thinking uh, about Donald Trump a minute ago actually, you? Yeah. I didn't know whether to bring him in but well it's, it's funny because I was just asked to write a poem for this for this uh, campaign it's anti-Donald Trump it's, it's someone's fashion brand but basically they wanted me to write a poem they wanted me to wear one of their sweaters and read this poem okay um but I don't want to talk like aggressively anti Donald Trump. Like, well, what, what, what's the point? Uh, you know, we we hear enough of that. What we're more interested in looking at is like it's a world of polarities. So mm. if that if that is as hateful, you know, if that is a, a kind of an image of how hateful this world can be and how hate how hate can manifest in this world, then just imagine the opposite side of that. Yeah. Just imagine how, how much how much love and positivity there also is existing in this world of polarities. And, uh, and and there's always just going to be a shift between those two things. There's always so it's always going to flip in and out of that balance. And, and I don't know if Bernie Sanders. I don't know enough about Bernie Sanders to know if he is the opposite to Donald Trump in that sense. But what is interesting to me is how everything Trump does gets total media coverage. Yeah. And then the photos you see of the Bernie Sanders rallies that are just huge and full and whatever, it's like they're just being ignored yeah. by so much of the press. And there's something about where that emotion is coming from in supporters of Trump and Sanders, which is exactly what you talk about, right? I mean, it really makes me feel some of the things that you're talking about, you're really onto something because it is coming from disenfranchisement and it is coming from a sense of disconnection and distrust with government and with the the status quo and and the sort of current environment that people feel like they're in. Well, one thing I'd say is actually, I mean, okay, so another way of looking at it is that social breakdown can actually be quite exciting Mm. (laughs) because social breakdown uh, will birth you anew. It, it kind of cultivates the individual, you know. Uh, there'll, there'll uh, be a whole new movement in art and music, and uh, there'll be a revolution. Like so, uh, with, with with everything that, that breaks down, there is something that is rebuilt. And uh, so, if things are really getting to a head and getting to a climax, like bring it on, so be it. Like <laughs> allow it to happen. Like, come on, like let, let's. Let, so let, you spend half your days being like wildly optimistic that everything's going to be great, and then half your time yeah. thinking, oh my god. It really, really depends which way the wind blows. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm trying to take on this kind of like fresher perspective of because what I don't like to do is put out lots of lots of 
kind of you know more darkness into the world it's not that I don't recognise that darkness is within us all I think it's a beautiful thing but to find the darkness and find ways that we can be motivated by it mm. you know? what do you mean by darkness just be more uh, I guess I guess you know um, talking in, in, a, in a societal sense the ugliness of like of politics fascism and mm. everything that Donald right. Trump represents you know money corporation and what have you but obviously within the individual person darkness is uh, what, what, what you what you feel it can be that thing that sometimes pulls us under um, and I, I'm not down for eradicating darkness because we wouldn't have light if we didn't have darkness at all and, and, and that's, that's, that's exactly the point really like to embrace the darkness and say okay so what does this mean for the light Mm. And and um, the the the, wor- the worse things get, the bigger change it will bring on. Because you sense it now as well. Like we we're, were talking before, how these things are coming forth technologically as well. More people talking about mindfulness in office spaces. Mm. You know, people are aware of change happening, and it is. And I, and I do think that a lot of that is actually thanks to perhaps thanks to the internet. In in a sense that we can talk about these things quite widely. People have got access to, you know, meditations or whatever it is that's going to make them um, feel that they can output more positivity or light or mm. uh, have more clarity on the decisions that they make or uh, even how they think politically or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I do spend some time thinking, feeling quite dark, but I, I do think when I'm at my healthiest, <laughs> it's, uh, it's trying to find motivation in what is... Uh, the darkness yeah, there, yeah. you know yeah um, and do you drive people crazy like in your relationships and stuff like you know the wild switch between totally optimistic really dark really light well Does that, do you ever get that thing of like oh why don't you just you know give this one a break and have a pint and just you know do yeah you have that? I mean to be honest I, d- I, re- I, I really do try not to be that person mm. in, in, in like <laughs> social situations but probably on the whole, most of my friends are at where I'm at as well, right, and, okay. and what have you. So uh, it's actually quite funny because my because my, my girlfriend's a, a, a very similar. Role. She's just saying, you know, she feels she's got a mission. She's an artist as well, and and so uh, between us, it, it it can it can get dark in a sense of us both losing despair on the on, mm. on the world, but having to kind of bring each other out of that. Um, for example, she's been getting really upset about the whole Donald Trump thing lately, and I've kind of been saying, okay, there. there other ways that we can look at this you know yeah. cafes will stay open till late so that we can start new movements <laughs> you know so, <laughs> um, so I've in the last so you mentioned going off Facebook I I gave my wife my Facebook password in about November mm-hmm. and so I'm still technically there but like I don't have any access to it so people are probably the one thing I get a slight very low level anxiety about is people might be messaging me and then I'm not replying and I feel sort of guilty about that but I have to say not having it as a constant source of news and not having that constant reminder of politics and what's going on in the world and stuff has been wonderful for my personal sanity. Absolutely, (laughs) yeah. And I think there's, um, there's definitely something in the work that you do around that sort of macro micro thing Mm. and like you are a a small microcosm of the wider world and everything else and I wondered I just wanted to talk to you about business and money around Mm. that so business and money on the macro level is you know it's responsible for a lot of what drives economies but also a lot of what exploits people and everything else 
and then on a micro level you are your own small business you're using money so how do you like I'd love to know how you contrast those things and how do you think about being a business person and having money and well I've never paid myself from Prowl and I won't I call it keeping my hands clean money just goes back into it Mm. or you know I can offer it to other artists who want to get involved but so Prowl is not just not for profit but it's also not for not for payment of you as the editor that's part of the ethos of it exactly Mm. I I make my money in in other ways I make my money from from um, organisations that have a lot of it Mm. to spare yeah Um, and uh, my friend and I are working on a on a manifesto for um, uh, keeping your business small anti-growth mm. companies okay so um, I think it's a really beautiful thing especially when you're coming back to community there's a there's a, a venue space in kind of Shadwell area of London which, and, is, which I know very well you live just around the corner from yeah. Shadwell and um, it has a mailing list and it, and it, email, and it emails out uh, to, to people to say that things are going on things are going on and then friends of friends find out and then their friends find out so yeah. more and more people start coming each week or each month whatever and then when they feel it's getting too many they delete that whole mailing list and start again you know, oh, wow. so it's okay. just, so this this kind of ethos of no 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 let's just keep this small like let's just keep this uh, you know <laughs> and then some of the same people can rejoin special. it but they have to go back and find out about it again well they'll be told about yeah, it again when yeah. it's when they when the owners are good and ready for, for okay. those people to know about it again which is quite nice and I like that and I think last year it clicked with me that I'd always kind of known but it really clicked with me that money was not my end goal yeah and that massively took the pressure off things. And and there are way there are ways to kind of survive in this world without money being a massive issue. People work nine to five, five days a week because they feel like they need money to do these things that they're told that they need to do and what have you. Actually, I work work as in you know graft for 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 for, for somebody else if you if you like. Um, probably about six months out of the year. Mm. And the rest of the time. I don't call it work, I call it playing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think it's really important to, to term it that, playtime. I don't like to use the W word around <laughs> it. Like, prowl, poetry, all of that for me is, that's my playtime. It is my work mm-hmm. if I'm going to speak to people in that language. But for me to kind of speak to myself uh, and take all of the pressure off myself, I just call it playing. Mm. Like uh, the, my, my book as well, it's at cost price. I don't make any, any profit on that either. Like I, I want to, kind of. I'm not saying that, I'll, that this will always be the case, but right now in the, in the way that I'm feeling a, a, about money, I'm taking it from you know your organisations like the Daily Telegraph, getting paid from companies like that, and that's fine, that's great. I don't feel bad about that. They've got crap loads of the stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that money's going to go to someone else, but it doesn't go to me. I'm not in the business of asking uh, people to give me their money for thoughts that I just want to be spread, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, and there is a fine balance between that, and a lot of people call that, you know, um, stupidity, <laughs> I suppose. Like, you do need money to survive. Of course you need money to survive. Uh, but you can also hustle a little bit as well, mm. and it can be a lot of fun, like, <laughs> not necessarily playing that game. Um but still managing to survive perfectly fine, still being able to kind of, you know, um, pay your rent and, and, and what have you, or figure out ways and means of doing that. For much of last year, I, I lived at a friend's of a friend's place, house uh, sitting. Mm. You know what I mean? You don't have to play loads of rent if you don't want to. Okay, yeah, I'll settle, you know. So, uh, and is that like a conscious thing where you're, so you're like, if there are things that the 
that are playing the game, doing you know, doing the nine to five, paying your rent, aspiring to have a mortgage, aspiring, you know, there's all those kind of very standard things like having the car or that stuff. Like how many of those things are you, that's just not my cup of tea and are some of those things where you're just thinking, well, here's how most people would do it, but I want to be weird and different and not do those things. Like, is there a... Like- yeah, I mean, again, it's not a conscious thing of being weird and different per se. It's more just, I don't feel particularly I can't work kind of uh, for money because it doesn't make me feel healthy you mm. know per se it just it just doesn't it's it's it, it puts a whole different spin and motive on what it is that I'm what it is that I'm, I'm trying to do and that you know I, I would I, I would like a base at some point I would like to have a house that is a base that I can move from there is a part of me that would like that like a part of me that still has that, you know, very much uh, wish for that kind of comfort. Yeah. And and I'm and you know and I am in my own way, in my own slow and careful way, working towards that, and that, and that's fine. But it's for me, it's it's about taking the pressure off, mm. and it's a really important thing. Like I just find working for money really, really, really stressful, and worrying too much about money really, really stressful. And we all do it, and we can't help it. But I, I can't help but. But be curious as to uh, kind of alternative economies, and you know, for example, at like Burning Man Festival, there's a there's a sharing economy, yeah, swapping. Yeah. You have a gift, you gift someone. It's gifting economy, and that's it, isn't it? And um, I very much like that, and and that's something that I like to do with with things like Prowl and and what have you as well. The last issue of Prowl was for sale, and I'm trying to figure out a way where I can make it free. You know, so where it can be almost a Robin Hood thing, where right. you know I, I can, you know, perhaps take the money from 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 the rich and and give something of more value to those who are actually hungry for it. But then, like one model of doing that would be sponsorship, right? Which feels like something that you wouldn't want to do. Yeah, which I wouldn't want to do in 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 a sense of giving anybody any control over the content that's going out mm. there per se. Um, so, I mean, it's still something that that I'm figuring out, but I'm, but not something that I'm giving up on because it's not already present and prevalent to me. Like, it's just going to take a little bit longer for me to kind of figure out what that next move is going to be. Mm. Um, but. I, I think I think one thing could, in a sense, that I've, that I've told you the idea of doing is um, an artist gives a skill to Prowl and they receive something, you know, gifting in return, you know, so that then we can build, continue to build this worldwide kind of like community yeah. that's happening. Uh, you know, for example, we've got a lot of people in, in Australia, like, a lot of artists who picked up on Prowl are really, really into it and they want to kind of share their art and I want to be able to give something back to them, but not necessarily money. Mm. You know, but but some kind of like economy of of uh, of of talent, if you like, almost you know, and a way to share it, and that in itself would spread the word, and that in, in itself would be a way of spreading without ever having um, necessarily uh, money involved. Another way of doing it is, you know, probably something that you print out for yourself at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Things, yeah. things like that, little loopholes and ways around it that that wouldn't give me a massive overhead. So it wouldn't mean that I'm having to you know, necessarily score money in such a way. I mean, the last the last few times, the way that we've done it is crowdfunded each one so that I've been able to keep the, the actual price. The price of a magazine of that quality is, it would be really, really high. Yeah. Like, you know, it's beautiful. The paper that it's, it's been printed on and what have you is gorgeous. And so. I guess like anything to do with printing, the economy of scale is like a hockey stick, right? So like mm. if you're doing a smaller print run, the cost per issue is huge. Yeah, exactly. And then if yeah. you get to a much bigger scale, it's like per copy, it's much less. But obviously yeah. that's a big journey to... 
to do that. And, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But um, how it started with, with the first issue of Prowl was I just started telling people about this idea I had. I was still kind of trying to figure out how I was going to hustle the money to go mm. through it. And people were just like really kind of like into this idea of what I was doing and they'd just take themselves off to a cash point. Someone just came back with 200 quid for me and was like, <laughs> really, the pub? You know what I mean? I just like, like, put that into Prowl. I really wow. want to see it happen. Put that into it. I thought, hang on a minute here. Like, this can be like a donation thing. If you have the wealth, yeah. you know, if your, you know, your cup overfloweth with money, then may I have some in the soup bowl of Prowl, please? <laughs> you know, and I think that's quite a nice way to do it as well. There are people out there with a lot of money that, that don't necessarily know what to do with it, but they want to put it into things like mm-hmm. this. And that's a really nice way of doing it. It doesn't necessarily have to be sponsorship. It can be people... We had, on our last crowdfund, somebody put in four grand. Wow. Someone who stayed, remained anonymous because they didn't want to be thanked. Wow. They just loved, they just loved what we were doing, and they lo- loved the passion behind it. They really, they were really into the passion behind it. And it was a friend of a, fr- it was, it was a friend of mine who called me and was like, "Okay, so <laughs> my heart still beats when I think about this phone call." But like, I passed this on to a few people who I knew had had some money to spare, uh, who they thought might be interested in supporting it. I wanted them to come back, and he, he really doesn't want um, any thanking publicly. <laughs> he doesn't want anything for it. He's just really into what you're doing. Wow! So he's giving you four grand through me. So I know it wasn't her because she didn't have four grand to spare, but uh, so it was. Um, it just makes you go like, God, yeah, it's beautiful. And that exchange of money can be can be pretty glorious. Mm. You know, that that's quite an honest, like, beautiful exchange of money. Put money into something that that, that uh, where you know you can trust it uh, per se. But then money in that sense is like that's a big validation for you, right? And so that's where money has sort of different meanings for different people, I guess. But would you try and? shy away from seeing money as anything other than the sort of survival tool yeah you know I, think I, mean? so. I think I think like because there's a power with money isn't there and there's a there's a power in that not not necessarily a power in that transaction but that transaction is powerful in what yeah. you then take from that I think it's funny because I think uh, on the whole money equates to uh, life energy it's like life energy tokens, isn't it? <laughs> and you have so many tokens of life energy. I've spent this much, you know, of my energy doing something and I get this many tokens back and I'm allowed to spend them on some more... Uh, you know. on, on providing me with some energy somewhere else. So, exactly, know, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that that's kind of the almost healthiest, healthiest way to look at it a little bit, rather than as kind of any kind of status or whatever. I mean, you know, I'm not yet at a point where I don't want for things, I still want the things like I do, but um, I am I'm aware of them and um, very much kind of the of the way of thinking where rather than just having like you know cash to just flit around and and what have you, uh, I could probably go and, and get loads of jobs tomorrow and earn myself you know, a bit mm. of, a bit of money and be able to you know get myself some really nice things, but. Uh, I don't. I, well, I don't really need them at the moment, so <laughs> I don't really need the money either yeah. at the moment. And when I, when I when I need something, I go and get the money for it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I go and spend some of my life energy and get those tokens and, and treat myself to something lovely, whatever it is that I need. And I just I just think that that is for me for, for the way that I work and and the way that I'm built. It's a really healthy way for me to work mm. because it just means that I can. Uh, wake up most days when I'm only doing my own projects wake up when I feel like waking up and really enjoy every second of doing it no matter how long that takes me 
Mm. And he's like, it just takes up that pressure of time. Time, like, snaps at my ankles sometimes. Like, uh, I find that quite a yappy little dog. And so <laughs> that kind of, like, fends that off a little bit yeah. as well, you know. Well, I, as, as you're talking now, I'm just thinking, man, like, you've got this sussed. You've got this cracked. <laughs> and I, uh, there's so many little snippets in there, which I think... In terms of me writing this book, I know we're going to quote you in the book in quite oh, right a few on. different places. Um, <laughs> really so, so now I'm going to ask you the opposite thing, which is what are the things where you feel like you don't have it cracked and what are the things where you feel like, oh, I really struggle with that particular thing? Um, there's, 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 there's totally low. I don't feel like I've like wholly got it cracked. I mean, <laughs> there, there, are, there are cracks in it, like... Probably you haven't spotted them already. When you listen back to it, you'd probably know there are a few flaws in my theories there, to be honest with you. But, uh, but um, things that I could probably work be- better on are putting these ideas out there because there's a dichotomy like within my, my theory of of my my philosophies on, on on net usage and my philosophies on money kind of um, uh, uh, do reel reel me in a little bit they they they, they uh, uh, hold back the reins when it comes to uh, really push pushing the message out there if I want to like chuck loads of money on it and then like really give myself pressure upon it and spend loads of time on the web I'll probably get these ideas out there a lot quicker mm. and so it's negotiating that so I think I'm, I've still got a long way to go in negotiating how. I can share these ideas, you know, really successfully. But again, that that is happening at my own pace and slowly. And and I I'm I'm, I'm trying to enjoy that. The big thing that I learned actually was this whole thing of, of pressure. Like, okay, I've had this idea. Everybody needs to know about it right now. Mm. You know, to okay, chill the fuck out. Like, you know, <laughs> like just. Uh, just manifest like you know slowly brew it and brew it and brew it and then when it's really ready to go out there it'll be out there and that's something that I have to kind of remind myself of of like really regularly um and then uh, yeah uh, timekeeping you know so I was here early today but it's such a lovely thing to be here, here early for so uh, that, that was really nice but um yeah the, the, so just being so, late so, for so, stuff it's that whole uh uh, I'm late, but I'm an artist, so it makes it okay, kind of thing. So, do you, uh, is that? So I don't know how I end up late. Actually, it's not really. It's not that conscious. I try to be on time. But I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I meander really. It's, it's probably because when I leave the house, I, I feel like I've got to have, like certain notebooks and what have you. And then I want to take a book with me, and then I probably want to take like different book with me because I feel like reading something else actually <laughs> to be on tuning and getting a different mood so, oh leave the house oh wait hang on no go back and get that thing okay yeah I'll go get, get that thing <laughs> so it's more of that actually called <laughs> indecisiveness than, uh, than like artiste uh, <laughs> uh, personality to be honest um, and tell me what, what scares you what are the things that you feel intimidated by in the work that you do or in the, the choices you make in your life um that's a, that's a, that's a, that's that's a really hard question actually. But I guess at, at the moment, one thing is uh, the lonerism of kind of culti- like being a writer mm. uh, means that sometimes that's got to come first, you know. And uh, uh, I think that every kind of creative person, hopefully, has the opportunity to ensure that everybody in their life knows that when something comes up, an idea or a stroke of inspiration or something that they need to be given space to do that. Mm. And sometimes that's not always appropriate. So 
I guess it's it's the the, the there's two sides of the coin there. It's the it's the fear of um, letting um, what could be really good ideas pass you by because you're not willing to allow it to get in the way of of a present moment or a time right. that you're spending with yeah. someone very like important to you. And and then the other side of that coin, where when you do allow it, like uh, how much do do the other people in your life perhaps suffer? So it's like almost like neglecting the ideas on the one hand, mm. and then neglecting people because of the ideas. Yeah, on the other and hand. which one That's do you choose? Because, because we don't know really what the purpose of being human is. <laughs> to get to go quite philosophical on it, mm. I don't know which one's right, and uh, so that's a bit of a dichotomy. There, are, there are a lot of fears, you know. Um, uh, unfortunately, so also the. Uh, Mania and, 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 and what have you that I touched upon earlier when you've got loads and loads and loads of ideas going mm. on in your head or, or just loads of thoughts they might not even be ideas they can be abs- they can just be crap to be honest they're just <laughs> like uh, like uh, running around in your head and sometimes uh, that can get the better of me and so I really want to ensure that I'm a grounded person but I don't but then you know I don't want to lose the madness either it's almost what gives me the, the, it's the, set, the f- same fire that gives me madness also gives me the fire to be the more, more of a risk taker mm. and, and push me to where I want to be. So um, I guess there's a lot of understanding of how, how, to, how to be with the person who you, who, how, how to be, yeah, the, the, the person who's going to be the most productive, not just for yourself, but for everybody else as well. Hmm. And, and I guess knowing when to turn the tap on or off and knowing when to be more focused in that way versus yeah. leaving it behind a little bit. Yeah, 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 definitely. And also, I do get a lot of fears about doing it wrong and I don't, and I, and I don't mean that in, in a sense that I don't have conviction in the beliefs that, I've, that I'm making, but in, should I just go off grid? Like, should, <laughs> do, do I need to be like, you know, if, if, I, if I'm so sure of myself... yeah. Why don't I just go off grid then? Why don't I just go off grid? Don't don't have the corporations within my life. You know, yeah. build a cold water system, plant a bit of land, whatever. Build oh, a so cold water system. Just like, yeah, have go off grid. Be self sufficient. Be self sufficient. Yeah. Or you know, go somewhere hotter. Buy a van. Sleep in that. Just drive around. <laughs> sleep in that. Why not? Why not do that? And then you know, why am I still part of? essentially part of the system that I don't believe in there's that constant dichotomy of, ah because you know do you leave a man like you know man down situation and you mm. feel like that is the people around you you go back and go to them ah oh, hang on I think I might have perhaps an idea that might help you and so that you can come with me you not come with me you don't people go off on your own in your own van you know what I mean but <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah or, or do you just understand such a thing for your own happiness yeah and take that dive so I, I, guess, I guess ultimately what I'm trying to say is the fear, the fear is where does the happiness come from? Mm. You know, what, what, is, what is the source of happiness? Is it selfish or is it selfless? And my, my next question was going to be, do you think of yourself as a leader? And I think that's, for me, you're hitting on that with the question that, you know, with what you're saying there about, yeah. like, is the, does the happiness come from you helping other people to wake up or does mm. the happiness come from you waking up yourself and going off the grid and whatever yeah, like, do you feel fun- like a leader it's a funny one that because um i've got wake up tattooed here pretty relatively close to my head mm-hmm. so the the idea behind that is that uh, when, when people look at me internally they'll just be processing they'll spot it and even if they don't consciously do it they'll be processing the message wake up yeah wake up yeah. wake up wake up and 
therefore I don't even have to you know you were asking earlier where I do people's head in basically you know going off on <laughs> yeah. spiels yeah. I really have to if, it, if that's internally happening it might essentially you know like click at, at, at some point nothing to do with me they won't notice that they've got it from me but there'll be some it's almost like an, a mantra going around mm. my head wake up and spend your time with me so is that and leadership? I suppose exactly that's the question yeah is so is I don't, I, you know what, I don't know, someone, someone said to me before, I don't know if you've ever heard of this concept of the indigo, 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 indigo people, basically. It's basically this kind of a relatively like new age concept, which I find quite inspiring, if you, even if you don't believe in the new age, because it suggests that things are changing. Um, and it's a, a, a theory in which there are so many people born who, who possess this kind of like indigo, like uh, auric personalities, which is taking down paradigms that aren't working and, and resurrecting um, ones that are, are better for you, humankind, essentially, uh, using a wisdom that predates human existence and bringing that forth. So it's pretty esoteric. Uh, look into it if you want. In, it's a kind of like, yeah, in, indigo. Indigo children will lead you there, but it's more than the indigo children that you see on documentaries and in America, it's not just kind of really bright, bright children. But and someone said to me really recently, and she's um, a really interesting person from California who's a healer. And she said, "Indigos don't need a leader, but if they did, you'd be it." <laughs> and <laughs> I and I agree with that. I don't believe in authority in a sense. Anyway, I don't want to be led. I don't believe in authority. I don't think that we. It's why I'm very much against a lot of politics as well. Mm. I don't think that necessarily you know we need leadership if we were uh, encouraged to trust ourselves. I don't think we'd need it. But if I had to be the person to remind people that, don't listen to the guy on the podium, listen to your gut, Yeah. then so be it. As long as that doesn't mean that people start trusting everything I say, because I'm going to be wrong loads of times as well. Like you, you, the, only, the, the only person who can really be your leader is you. So if I can kind of encourage people to realise that, great. I don't want to, people to though, then start latching on to everything I'm saying. Because mm. I don't know what's best for them. Only they know what's best for them. Only each individual person can be the president of their own world, really. You know? Yeah, so, I love that thing where you were saying before that you don't know what... you Like, you can't define or decide what being a human is because yeah. you're only one of them. <laughs> like, yeah, totally, yeah. But there, there is that sense of you can have your ideas, but actually you're, everyone's interdependently learning from everyone else's ideas and that sort of thing. But then even with like Prowl, I mean, you have one of the things that you've created is a community of other people who bring their own stuff to the table. It's not just you, is it? So in some ways, that's a, a form of leadership in a facilitative sense. You know, you're, you're bringing them together, giving them the platform to then make something bigger than, than but, it could but, just be you. But is a facilitator a leader? Well, that's a really good question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. B- because I think the best facilitators definitely aren't. They bring people together and, 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 and that's it. I think like, one thing I am really good at is throwing a good event. Um, <laughs> that means bringing people together. For example, one prior event that we did, I asked everybody to bring something that meant a lot to them, an item that meant a lot mm. to them, but that they were willing to let go or to give away. Okay. They were willing to let go of. And the very start of the event, once everybody had come in, they had to arrive for a certain time, doors were locked, it was shut. Once you're in there, you know, it's okay, we're safe space now, here we are. Uh, know who's here, etc. Now, find somebody in the room who you don't know, you've never met from Adam, 
And so everybody paired up and I didn't even have to go on to the next point and tell them what they were going to do. Immediately everybody, the room lit up and everybody started telling the other person what the story was behind this object and why Mm. it meant so much and the history of them and this object. And then they gifted it to that person. Just this kind of like, you know, this mutual trust. And that was nothing to do. All those, all those gorgeous people there who had just formed these relationships in that space. And it really formed this room of people who trust each other, who stayed all yeah. night. Yeah. Luckily, we had no time. We had to get kicked out of this venue. Who stayed creating art together, sharing ideas. Really, we had this box of what is it to be human. People putting their ideas. I thought maybe people will use it. Maybe they won't. box was full. And it was so beautiful. <laughs> people, like, dared because they felt trusted and they felt that there was some... Relationship, you know, certain uh, relationships were being built. People were embarrassed to uh, uh, kind of facilitate again this musical jam. Even if you haven't ever played music before, here are some instruments. Let's just make some really nice things together with a really great producer kind of leading it, so that it still had its backbone. Mm. You know, the idea, of, and then allowing people to realise these thoughts themselves. Oh wow. Somebody lost their phone in there. Everyone was like, don't worry about it. We'll all find it. We'll all find it. Because there was that mutual trust. Everyone knew that even if there were strangers in the room, those strangers already made friends. So it was this, there was this yeah. circuit of people who were instilling trust in, in, in themselves and, and in others. And I think that's a great thing. And all I did was give the space for that to happen and, ju- and just kind of put a few little guidelines in place. And then all of a sudden, everybody realised those things for themselves. Mm. That they could trust each other. And that's a really important thing. That's a, like a massive thing on all of this and, and on the money topic on everything. You know, if, if you can trust, if there's trust, then, then you can really run with, with things, you know? That makes me feel really optimistic hearing that. And you say, oh, I just created this space and then they did this up. And then also then really pessimistic thinking, but how far is that removed from if someone loses their phone uh, as happened to someone at Think Productive last week, actually, and just had her phone and bag and everything stolen. Oh, wow, uh, yeah. And it's, it's touched with something that has never happened to me, but just the fallout of just losing one item, just losing your phone and just losing, having to sort out your credit cards and all that stuff. I mean, it's just such a... Yeah, I know. No, that, it's a horrible that, world, isn't it? You know? that, 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 is, that is a bitch, but, like... And I think it's really easy in those situations. And if that happened to me on the way here, I'd definitely be saying that the world is an awful place. (laughs) (laughs) Can't just leave fucker in this goddamn world. But but actually, I don't think I don't think that that's true. I think that the the problem is we're 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 told to be we're told that humans are untrustworthy, and so therefore we fulfil that and we become untrustworthy. Mm. I think if the massive platforms weren't pushing down our throat these ideas that there is such awfulness in this world. It was actually, every weekend uh, I post good news, uplifting news articles on the Prowl Twitter. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. to be like, how great are humans? Humans yeah. are really great. Like, they're great if you allow them to be. And if you tell more humans that they're great, they'll go out with their day and they'll feel really great and they'll pass on a smile and they'll pick something up for someone who's dropped it and pass it on. You tell people that they're great and that they're trustworthy, they'll be great and trustworthy because that's what humans are like. They absorb mm. it. They, it's, and it's self-fulfilling prophecy as well. If you made to believe that you're that you're a that you're a bad person, like by God, are you going to be bad? I've had it myself, you know, if, um, in relationships, when I'm made to feel like a really bad person. I feel like I'd be. I, I feel like more of an asshole. I'd be a bit more of an asshole. Mm. You know, it's like whereas if, some, if people are telling you, oh, you know, you're so you're so you know lovely and friendly and uh, you know you can really trust you. Like, oh, I really want to be really trustworthy for them because they've you know really lovely to them and make that effort and. So I think that's a big part of it. I think that you can't always, you know, isolate it in those moments of despair when your phone's gone missing or your bank cards yeah, have gone be. missing. But I, 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 
I don't like to think that it's the, the, the fault of the individual person who did it. I, I just think that they've been told to act like that. Or, they, or it's been insinuated that that is who we are, you know. Which it's brings been, us back really nicely full circle to the whole thing that, like, words and ideas and the stories that everyone tells themselves have such a huge part <laughs> in just shaping our world and, you know, how we operate and stuff. So that feels like quite a good place to... Are you choking on the water then? Yeah, I was trying to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, you can cough away. So but we have these little, I have these little um, pouches with water, but they do often lead to people choking on them. <laughs> I it choke just, like, on them. It just, like, it like springs into your mouth, doesn't it? I'm like... Just so gently take, take a sip and that was lovely bathos because I was just saying something really profound there <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just coughed all over it didn't I so I, I guess full circle to the whole notion of um, society being shaped and developed so much by media and words and ideas and like you know your interaction with that as someone who is putting a lot of very passionate words out there into the world and also selling words and, and all that sort of thing um, so let's just finish with uh, what's the plan for you as a person having looked at the societal thing what, what's your plan like where do you want to be in five years and like what, what's most important for you I don't know about five years time like I know about sounds like a job interview question wasn't it there? like <laughs> yeah, yeah, where yeah. do you want to be in five years time and I was like oh but, yeah but fair work in the company uh, but you know, yeah, I want your job your job <laughs> yeah um, I, I mean uh, it's funny because uh, uh, Today, my plan is this, but yeah, it, 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 it changes on the regular. Just like, you know, follow my gut, really. But at the moment, I'm working on a full-length spoken word uh, stage show, uh, which is looking at mental illness. Uh, a lot about how we're put on... You, know, you go to the doctor with a problem and they kind of brush you on the carp- under the carpet of medication and forget about you. Uh, and also the ideas of what mental health is in, in this culture. Because in some cultures, actually, uh, these mental health, these mental illnesses that we that we talk about are actually seen as pretty powerful capabilities mm. and pretty psychic capabilities. Yeah. So it's just exploring exploring mental health in that sense. So that's going to be my, that's my next big project. Um, and then long term... Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking at actually. I'd like to. I'd like to study some more. I really like learning, and um, so I'm, I'm at the moment looking at a philosophy masters in Colorado, and I'm thinking of like using the opportunity to go and move somewhere new, and mm. like, you know, spread seeds on a new ground as well, and and stuff. But who knows, man? I, I, I might end up getting that van. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know like I, really, I might just hot. get a van and just yeah go kind of like uh, bum around for a little while but at the moment just keeping going with the mission in, in all the new ways as I say this stage show is going to be like a debut stage show so that's just using another medium to try and try that out and, and see what we can achieve doing that and uh, and that'll be at Edinburgh right is that, is that the plan yeah I'm going to I'm definitely going to take it to Edinburgh and um and and then and then we'll see what we'll see where it goes after. That. I'll, I'll take it around the UK, and uh, I'm I'm not going to say too much about what, where it'll go because I'm trying to be quite um, micro on the, on the way that we're exploring it and just doing it bit by bit. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right now, right now, it's just brightening it and developing it, and then it, it, I'll deal with that later. <laughs> That's the yeah. problem I have with this book, right? Is mm. like these podcasts are in some ways they're shaping the book, and then in other ways I don't want to talk too much about what else is happening with the book and whatever because it's like yeah it's a, it's a difficult thing sharing before you're necessarily dead set on something where you know yeah. where it's going to go yeah no no absolutely and I think I think also it, it gives you like uh, too much of a rigid guideline to work within if you start saying like out loud 
I'm going to perform at this theatre and that theatre. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, oh God, if I don't perform at that theatre, then I'm going to have failed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you just be like, oh, whatever, wherever it goes is going to be absolutely perfect for it, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and I'll just push it as much as I can and, and, and see what happens. And I, and I only say that because I've learned from my mistake of doing things like, you know, a, a print issue of Prowl and putting it out there. And if it doesn't get on these platforms, in these shops, uh, well, you know, saying to people, it'll be here, it'll be here, and then it, it doesn't end up being those places, and I it just it just crushes me, mm. <laughs> you know. So I've got to be quite sensitive with myself in that sense. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I guess just to, just to keep going and 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 keep talking about it and keep keep trying out new um, mediums of writing it and 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 just see where it takes me. I very much see myself in a pretty similar place in five years' time. To be honest, just continuing this, cool. <laughs> yeah, wherever reason it takes me, yeah. So that's it for Lisa Lux. I really enjoyed that conversation and uh, thanks again to Lisa for coming down to the shed and uh, looking forward to hanging out at some point soon, probably without a microphone in front of us and with a beer instead, so looking forward to that. Thanks also to Mark Steadman from Bloomsbury Digital. Mark has recently gone full-time in his business and uh, if you have any requirements for anything to do with voiceover work or podcasting, uh, and really basically lots of other digital stuff, please check out bloomsbury.digital. Mark is just a massive help on, on the podcast and um, yeah, really, uh, really lovely to work with and really grateful to have him on board. So uh, please do check out bloomsbury.digital. You can find out more about the podcast at getbeyondbusy.com, getbeyondbusy.com. And there you'll find show notes, links to all the previous episodes and a little bit of background info as well. Uh, if you want to contact me, it's graham at thinkproductive.co.uk or at Graham Alcott on Twitter. And my company is Think Productive. So we run a whole range of workshops that really help people to be equipped to deal with change, uh, to be able to be more resilient in interesting times and to do things like get their email inbox to zero, run better meetings and all that stuff. So if that's remotely of interest and you're in either the UK or the USA, Canada, Australia or Western Europe, most of you are in one of those places, uh, then check out thinkproductive.co.uk and from there you'll find all the links to the other sites around the world as well. So please do check out Think Productive. Next episode will be out in two weeks' time. Uh, to make sure you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe. That also really helps us to just get the word out. And let me just tease this in slightly by saying one of the next episodes coming up is with a broadcasting legend. That is all I'm going to say but really, really looking forward to sharing that with you. Uh, so thanks again. I'm going to leave you there. Uh, I'm going to leave you with that little uh, teasing thought. Uh, thanks again for listening to Beyond Busy. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll see you in two weeks' time. Until then, take care. Bye for now. Bye.